We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the Eight Black Hands podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be an exciting night for us tonight. Um, we have uh, Jamie Cassap uh, on episode. Uh, you echoing, bro? If you might have Facebook on or something next to you. I do. I do. I do. Yeah, it's all good. We got you, fam. Ooh. All right, go ahead. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So episode sixty. <laughs> so, so Charles, uh, start off with the intro, bro. Hey man. Uh, well, let me go ahead and get that queued up, brother. But go ahead and greet the people, fam. There's a process for that. <laughs> um, sure. I'm sorry. There is definitely a process for that. Reef, how are you doing, sir? Good. Doing well. Doing well. You know, Ramadan Mubarak for all the Muslims out there fasting around the world at home. Stay out those masjids, stay home, do your uh, fasting there. <laughs> yeah. Good to, excited about the show, excited about our guests. Yeah. So uh, one of our Patreon perks is the fact that you have unlimited access to us, but then also you get to do cool stuff like this. That's what's up. We getting there. Uh, we're not there yet. All right. Hi. My name is David McGuire, host of the Recess Podcast and a member of the A Black Hands Patreon, where I get to do cool things like this. Tonight's guest on A Black Hands is Jamie Kassam. Jamie is passionate about improving the quality of education for students, no matter where they live in their economic circumstances. Jamie is a first-generation American who was raised on welfare and food stamps by a single mother in Hell's Kitchen. Having grown up in poverty, Jamie truly believes that access to high-quality public education disrupt poverty and stays live. Jamie was part of the original team that launched Google Asper Universities and K-12 and helped get Chromebooks in the schools. Today, his work at Google focuses on collaborating with school systems and organizations and leaders around the world, focused on building innovation and education policies and practices. So thank you for that, Charles. All right, so before we even get started with our show, um, I gave you guys some homework on our Facebook page. So right now, if you could share, uh, if you could share, that would be extremely appreciated. If you could do a watch party, that would be even more appreciated. All right. Um, thank you for that. So Jamie. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Good. What's up? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Honor and a pleasure. So tell the listeners what you do on a day to day at Google. Yeah, not much. No, I'm so, <laughs> not much these days. No, I've been. I I joke about been. I've been trying to get fired for about three years. The uh, so so I started Google 14 years ago. I've been part of the education team for about as long as that. Uh, kind of my day to day has you know changes like any job. I started by working with universities and working in K 12, and I I love to get into like why. I went from like working with the universities and got into K-12, but my job is basically to do two things. And one is to work across all the different teams at Google that are doing things in the education space uh, that 
need subject matter experts or need some feedback or some assessment in terms of what they're doing. So I, I work with all the different teams at Google. I also, well, until about a month and a half ago, until the world ended, I used to travel around the world and speak at events or work with school systems or work with universities around the issues that they're passionate about that I care about. But the the cool thing about that experience is that I get to see what the issues are, what the commonality is, what people are complaining about, what they're trying to solve, those types of things. And so I'm able to bring all that back to the teams that are doing things in the education space. So that's that's the Google stuff. I also, on my own, work with, with school systems. I, I work in, in, in higher ed. I started a school here in Phoenix called the Phoenix Coding Academy. And, and lately, the last month, I, I put out a video on my, on my YouTube channel offering up my time to professors and teachers that basically, hey, if you got your kids online in virtual classrooms, um, invite me in. I'd love to come talk to students. And I thought like 10 teachers would take me up on it. And my schedule for the next couple of weeks is completely booked up with, mm. with classroom visits. And, and it's been great because I get to see students, I get to talk to them and I get to hear what questions they have. And some of the questions that they're starting, you know, you start creating a, a pattern of questions. There's some interesting questions and in all that. Man, so this first question that's about, well, actually it's the second question. The second question that's coming up, we're gonna build it up. Yeah. School, I think this came from you, bro. And it, it talks about how Google can support black and brown kids. You wanna talk a little bit about it? Build us into it? Yeah, so so here's the thing. Here's the thing. No, 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 no. We were talking about for Chris. Oh, What's sorry, Chris. It's yeah. all good. We just, he, we, he jumped in. We just threw him right in the fire. How you doing, yeah. bro? Get the oh, man flow. Yeah, let him flow. Welcome, oh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go ahead. You you go ahead. No, no, you Jump go. In. No, you go. Because 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 you're the guest. There, there, there's five of us. So or there's four of us. So you know. Well, I'll I'll tell you this, and I'd love to get your reaction to this. So when I started with Google Apps, I was working, you know, like a like a like a business manager. I was out working with universities. I signed up a bunch of universities, and then. What I saw was the need to bring technology into school. I saw the the opportunity to kind of level the playing field with technology because, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Hell's Kitchen, if I wanted access to information, I had to go to the library on the Columbus Library on 51st and 10th Avenue. And that thing closed at five o'clock. Basketball went to 445. It wasn't open on the weekends. Uh, Louis would steal the books. And, and so there wasn't a lot of information there. And I saw this opportunity with technology to kind of level, to, to bring everything in, right? Because if you ask me like what happened on December 7th, 1941, when I was 12 years old, I, I had no, I, 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 if I didn't know, I'd be like, I'll be, I'll be right back. I'll be back tomorrow. And I'd, I'd go find out, right? I didn't even have encyclopedias, right? Like at least some families, we had the M, right? Like <laughs> oh, wow. we had like every year's M because the, the sales guy would come around and 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 try to sell, <laughs> try to sell you the, the, the subscription model for, and they, they would give you the first book for free or for $9.99 and, and, and my mom would grab, grab that book and then never pay again, right? So, Access to information was is a critical issue. And here we are with, with all this technology. Now we have access. And, and so I saw this opportunity. And then I started working in the K-12 space and working with uh, leaders in that space and working with superintendents. And people around the table would say, hey, this is great. This is going to be cool for 
you know, this is going to be very empowering for black and brown kids and for and for poor kids. And I'd hear that over and over and I'd look around the room and I'd be like, um, excuse me, I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but none of you are black or brown or none of you are are poor right like you you don't know what you're talking about so that's when i decided personally that i i didn't want to just be someone who sold things i didn't want to just be the person who convinced you to use technology i wanted to to bring my voice my perspective for my background and what i grew up like into the education system yeah, it feels like that's what we should be asking for from big companies like yours. Um, we talk about it all the time, uh, how much brilliance there is in communities of color and with our children, the things that they're doing uh, on their own without us giving them anything with, you know, YouTube and TikTok and whatever, you know, technology you put in, in their hand, you can see that their creativity starts to shine. They will find a way to use it. But as we're looking at... Uh, the national pandemic right now, the global pandemic right now, it's opening up a lot of attention to the fact that a lot of our kids aren't even wired, right? Like we don't, we don't have access. I'm only saying the thing that you guys already all know, right? It's not, it's not a secret to anybody that there's inequities that our kids get left behind. It does feel like it's time for something big to happen for the companies that have all this technology to make a big commitment to putting us at the front of the bus, because because what technology seems like to me, oftentimes, it seems like the bus that comes by and we catch the third bus, but there's all, always three or four other buses ahead of us. I've visited some of the campuses of these places and have struggled to see a black person right in some places. Right. Like, right. like that, that was shocking to me. And I said to somebody while I was there, you know, this would be a great place to have a high school right in the middle of one of these campuses that had yoga, a wave pool, a bike shop, a doggy cafe, had a little bit of everything. The only thing they didn't have was black people. So, right. you know, it would be great to have like a national commitment to putting our kids on the front lines. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with that, right? There's a, there every you know people will talk about the pipeline, but it's not a pipeline issue. And people will talk about the 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 lack of uh, resources for students like that, but there are lots of resources. It's 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 a little bit of everything, right? I I don't live in Northern California. I I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I, I for years people who know me know that I joke about living in Northern California, because for me, culturally, you know, I, you know, every time I land in Northern California, I tweet out, I smell kale, right? Like, I don't want to live there. <laughs> I, 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 like, I, like, I live in Phoenix because, you know, the, you know, it's a 40% Latino population and, and there's people who are, you know, Benito is the head of uh, Bank for America at, at, in Arizona, right? Like, like there's people in power and influence here and, that, and I'm comfortable here. And sometimes we don't even talk about this, but I was once on an airplane coming back from uh, uh, from Mountain View or from California. And there was, uh, I sat next to a black captain in the army and he saw something Google on my bag or something. He's like, hey, I just interviewed for a job at Google. And I'm like, cool. So we started talking. He was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna take it though. And I'm like, why not? He's like, because I don't wanna, I don't wanna live here. I, there's there's no there's no community for me right so it's this like chicken and egg thing right like you can't build a community until you get people that look like you into that community and at the same time you got to build a community so that you can recruit from that community so it's like this back and forth thing all the time that i i see brief what you got 
No, I mean, it's just, it's interesting, you know, people, when technology was, you know, is like booming, people talk about like, hey, it's flattening the world. But the only thing that that I really see getting flattened continuously is our communities, right? Like this digital divide has not gone anywhere. I remember uh, being a teacher when we first started getting these uh, computers in a classroom and, you know, we really thought this was going to be the game changer, but it ended up being like one computer for the entire class. Right. And so it's like not even a station. It's like a pit stop for one student at a time. Uh, so we're like, oh, work in pairs and, you know, peer over his shoulder and be the editor. And, you know, almost like a spotter for a sniper. That's how kids right. were, were, were uh, writing. And I just I don't see that much different from the, the 90s to now in a lot of our uh, community schools. Well, again, I think you got to attack some of the factors in that, right? For a long time, technology was a, a price was a stumbling block, right? Like mm-hmm. back when you're talking about computers, you're talking about five, six thousand dollars to put a laptop in a classroom, and so 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 cost was an issue. You know, today you can get a, you know you can get a Chromebook for a hundred bucks, hundred ninety nine bucks. I don't know what the prices are, but you can get a Chromebook and and connect to the internet. But you have to have access, right? You have to have high speed internet access to be able to do that. So so that's one factor. The fact that teachers who are more experienced will use technology and they're in our our communities of color you got teachers who aren't experienced so they tend not to right like it's all these things that intimidating yeah that just build on top of each other and and we're we're always trying to solve one thing but what we need to do is solve all of them at the same time at the same time yeah yeah Yeah. it's not a linear approach yeah it doesn't seem like there's a big idea charles you you jump in charles but you you went to afrotech i remember talking to you about this afterwards and what you left me an impression with is it's possible to do something big and creative um but it's not until you're there and you see it that people think that this could be done like Afrotech is a, is a, a big thing you saw firsthand. We don't have something like that. Right. And, you know, you know, in every it, city. I think it's definitely huge. And I, I mean, I can just talk about my experience with Afrotech and uh, you got to get closer to your mic, Ray. I, I heard you, but you were faint. Um, but um, yeah, man, I think when I went to Afrotech, it's a huge like look at what's possible. And, you know, and I've been telling folks in education and the healthcare, like get early tickets, get on this boat now, because a lot of those folks are going to be the leaders and billionaires and millionaires of the future. Uh, but it's just a lot of innovative cats there and they care about black folks because it's mostly it's, it's black people. Right. And I think, you know, I think that when you build that movement and you got Jay-Z and Beyonce shouting you out uh, and the sister is I mean, she she's dope and she's young and she's a visionary as well. I think that we need to be looking at like ways to be innovative. So I think it's interesting when Jamie says we don't need to be just looking at one problem. We need to be kind of looking mm-hmm. at all these problems mm-hmm. uh, in a shared way. We, we uh, also we also got to You know, there is. I think hold on, Jamie. Uh, yeah. I think Ray was trying to hop in, but his, his yeah, mic is a little low, uh, right. which so has I'm just never been an to, issue. <laughs> I'm, moving, I'm, I'm moving the conversation forward. Jamie, <laughs> Jamie have, have your last word, sir. <laughs> Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, I talked to lots of students and and when when people come up, you know, students come up to me and they're like, hey, how can I get a job at Google? My response is always like, don't get a job at Google. Start a Google. Right. Like 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 it's the, the money isn't in getting a job. The money is in in building wealth through creation and innovation. Right. And most people don't realize most of our students don't realize that. Google is a company that's made up of hundreds of companies, right? You create, somebody creates something cool and then Google says, hey, we want that technology or we need that application or we need that thing 
or we just need those engineers and they buy these companies and you know whether it's facebook or twitter or google or anyone they're buying companies so when i talk to students i'm like go go build something right like yeah if, if you want to get a job great but you can you have an opportunity to build something that's creative and and we don't i don't hear a lot of conversations about that right the African-American market is a trillion dollar market. The Latino market is a trillion dollar market. Who's who? Who are we allowing to build products and services for those markets? All right. So this next question we have is from a Patreon member and a member of Omega Sapphire Fraternity Incorporated, Demetrius Ball. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> is that code for something? Yeah, oh it's code for bow ties. Go ahead, bro. Oh, right, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, I don't want, I don't, that, Charles, I don't want no went, smoke with the Greeks. Yeah. I don't want no smoke with the Greeks. Go what ahead. are y'all even doing? Like, this is, you know. this is totally different from y'all. Bro, Greece fell. Or whatever. Like, this is different, bro. Greece like, fell, bro. Just go ahead. All right, yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how can we ensure that our communities, people of color, uh, to be more specific, have the digital connectivity that they need, even when the pandemic ends? Because we talk about all this stuff about, you know, what people need now, but it's going to end and they're still not going to have access. So how do we t- how do we approach that, Jim? Yeah, that, that's a good question, because, look, even. Even from, you know, I was thinking about this today. I am on a, on a dedicated line in my studio. So I'm on a one gig line. I get 900 um, download speed on most of the time. But my upload speed is 30. And, and that's on a good day. It's usually like 15. I shot, I shot a video. I shot like a four hour video yesterday in 4K. And it's been uploading for like 20 hours. Wow. And, and, and I'm plugged into the router. And, then me, and I had this like kind of epiphany today where I'm like, oh, you know what? These cable companies, it's all about consumption. Right. They want you to consume stuff. They're not very good on creating. Right. Like like I want to demand from Cox that I should have more bandwidth to go up because I'm creating things. I'm building things and I want to get them out there. And so it was interesting to me to just think about that. Right. This idea that even the way we're structured uh, f- from tech companies that are providing Internet access, it's, it's about consumption. You consume Internet, not create on it. And, and that's a problem. So that's a general problem. And also, you know, when I started at Google, most people don't realize this, but there were only like 14% of the world was online. And when you ask students today, like what percentage of the world is online today? They'll say 90, 95%. And no, it's like 50%. Like only half yeah. the world is online. And, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's a stretch. It's probably like 40%. And so we're still at the beginning of this. And, and so in the macro these are temporary problems because over time, these won't be issues anymore. But in the meantime, what we need to do is demand, you know, we're, we're customers at the end of the day. And these Internet providers are, are, are they, we have to tell them what we want. Oftentimes we wait for them to build things. And what we need to do is is demand what we need. Like what are what are our requirements for for Internet access? Mm. I mean, you know, let's just start there just for one second. There should be a public option. Right. Internet is too central to the needs of the American people and to the average family that it for it to be completely uh, a, a private option. I am the first one on this podcast to always talk in favor of privatized things because I believe in the markets and I believe in all that. There still should be a public option. Like right now in 2020, the idea that we have people that are, aren't fully wired 
right now is archaic, right? It's, it's like the, the, the biggest sign of a lack of leadership or care. I don't know which one it is. It's got to be one of the two, though. You either don't give a damn that there's, you said 50%. That's stunning. What was the percentage that you said? 50% of the world's online. The whole world. I mean, man. It should be like a regular utility, right? Running water, electricity, great uh, broadband width. Also building awareness, right? Like you, all the articles that I read are about like how to disconnect from your digital life and, you know, do more yoga. And like, that's how, that's how bad the, the divide is that, that there's a whole world out there of how not to connect. Well, that's right. usually from the affluential who are already yeah. so deeply connected. They can right. send those kind of messages like, Oh, let me opt it's out. Ray too. It's right? Ray. Like they already have it. <laughs> right. you know, that's very different than someone who is struggling, particularly now and before and in the future who don't have access. And you sitting there saying like, Hey, you know, do yoga. Don't, don't connect. And like, yo, right. like I need this for my job. You know, right. I need this for my child. I need this for my child's education. Yeah. Years ago when I was on the school board and this was years ago, more than a decade ago, um, some of the, the cell companies came to us, some of the tech companies, and they wanted to put the cell towers um, in our schools. So, you know, cause we had some schools that were tall enough and we were looking for other revenue streams or whatnot. They came to us um, with, a, with several schools that they thought were perfect to put them in. And we tried to get them in exchange, you know, the parents of kids in our schools actually need access. So why don't we, you know, you want to use our buildings uh, to, to conduct your business and, and uh, we have families in need. And that was the deal breaker for them. They actually really just didn't want to be on the hook for that year over year. It's pretty, pretty surprising and, and, um, and depressing. Well, even the programs that we do have are not only insufficient, some of them are set up for failure, right? Like even at those programs where you, you, you know, for nine ninety nine a month, you get high speed internet access. If you, if you, you know, are at this level or at this income level, or you have this many kids or whatever those requirements are, there are requirements in there that, that don't work with some of the communities that we're talking about, right? Like this idea that you can't have any late payments on your credit report or mm-hmm. you have to have a banking account, right? Or, you know, you have to have uh, a checking and, you know, whatever those requirements are. So people are like, hey, look, we're offering $10 a month, but the requirements are so set up that you can't take advantage of it. And I mean, I think if, if we were really serious about making this available to, 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 to communities of color and things of that nature, like it, in, in many countries, Wi-Fi, high-speed Wi-Fi is ubiquitous. Like, wherever you go, you're automatically plugged in. It's really, you know, and we throttle here in the United States. So, like, I pay a lot of money for my Wi-Fi connection here, and it's at, like, it's only at, like, 300. I mean, it's a lot compared to other people, but there are other countries where the norm is 500, 600, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, megs down, right? And maybe about 30 up, right? And so... Um, but if we were really serious about it, I mean, we have like you would see it in liquor stores. You would see it uh, in your 7-Eleven. You would see it at at Trader Joe's or Safeway. You would just right? see like, it citywide. There city are ways wide, to make right? it happen. Right. When you just see it citywide. I mean, there are some cities that have it citywide, but I mean, wouldn't there, there's the- a few places that tried it. Like when I go like when I when I'm in the Bay and I go to Sac, like downtown Sacramento, I remember they were trying to have it. It was spotty. It wasn't the best. It wasn't you wasn't, you know. 
doing like a video interview from that spot or whatever. But I mean, it's a process, right? I was one of those people like in Starbucks early on. Remember when you had to have AT&T or you can pay for like, uh, it was almost like a Boingo account, like mm-hmm. when you go to the airport. And then people demand it and then they eventually made it like free when you came in. And I think this is one of those things. Uh, Ray, I know you, it's, it's tough when you hosting, brother, but what's your thoughts on this stuff? I don't want your voice to get lost. You see this care? This is care. It doesn't really matter tonight because tonight I've already, I've already accepted the fact that I'm playing the role of Switzerland tonight. And so uh, that's, that's where we are. But um, when I was in, when, when my family was in Spain last summer, uh, we had internet access on the streets. Um, mm. So you're right when you talk about like different countries and like how different countries approach uh, internet access. And it's sad, man. It's, it's sad what's happening in the United States, especially with these students. And uh, it takes a pandemic occurring in order for you to know that, you know, these people look at you like you ain't shit. So mm. that's where I'm at. We don't demand enough of our leaders. I mean, Flint still don't have clean water. Neither Man. do like 30 or 40 communities across the country. There's yeah. somebody here, Leah Van Bell, has uh, a quote here where she says, in Michigan, some schools are saying that students need to sit in the school parking lot uh, in their family's car to do their online learning all day long. Oh, I thought that was just Philly. Philly too. Yeah, That's Philly, yeah. Philly, Philly happened too. Yeah. You know what that is? That is that is a people not expecting enough of their leadership because everybody having a hand on that should be uh, without a job next year. Everybody, it, it, that is a breakdown of leadership. You're, you're, if you ever find yourself in the parking lot of a school trying to get Wi-Fi for your child, the next time you vote, vote out every incumbent that has jurisdiction over your child in that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, look, it, life can be simple. What gets measured gets done. And there's no better measurement than than the account of, accountability of a vote, right? You, if, if, if something doesn't happen, the measurement of that is you're out of office, but they know that that doesn't happen. So why would they, right? So That's right. It's, it's an incentive thing for us to be accountable to ourselves to do these things and, and vote and participate and protest and all the other things that are available to us. I mean, but, and I know, uh, you know, Ray wants to move us forward. Um, <clears throat> but I would even say, like, we're in a place where this stuff is even, like, an- antiquated. Like, the MiFi is antiquated at this point. I remember 10 years ago when, like, Verizon and AT&T first started doing MiFi's. Like, yeah, like that's, this is not, like, a, a tough, super expensive, like, piece of technology at this point. Like, these things can kind of be given out like candy at this point. It's not, but again, man, I, I, I hate saying it. And I, somebody else can say it for me. I, I just feel like if it was other communities and it wasn't black communities, I wouldn't have to say black folks is on their own. Latino folks is on their own. Poor people is on their own. Like this is actually something that we can fix. These are in my house, right? I have boosters all around, right? So I got Xfinity. They charge me crazy amounts to use it. But because of the size of my house and walls, I had to go and pay for these little things that you plug in to amplify it, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing that's stopping us from building those all throughout cities. Like, there are many cities that have it. And for us to be a first-rate country, the richest country, like, it's not a problem of if we can do it. It's, a, it's, it's do we, will we do it? And then the question is, why won't we do it? And I think that we know the answers to that. But, Ray, brother, I want to respect, yo, I want to respect your hosting, Pimpin'. I appreciate that, sir. And so the next question 
going to be uh, outside of connectivity laptops. Uh, what could districts have done to proactively? Uh, what could dis- districts have done proactively to weather a situation like the Rona? And so I want to set this question up the way that it's supposed to be set up because this is Reef's question. So if you're asking what the Rona is, we're going to put Reef up first. <laughs> Reef, tell us what the Rona is. <laughs> Listen, bro, Jamie, Jamie's down. He know, he knows what the Rona is. Stop playing, yo. <laughs> I, I know what the Rona is. Yeah, he trying to, he trying to sell you short, Jamie. That's, that's, right. that's, that's how New Yorkers are. They think they in New York. They the only ones that know everything. You know, he's a New Yorker, this, bro. I know. Yeah, yeah but he, now he's somewhere else. He's trying to he's trying to play him because he ain't there now. I, well, I, I get to New York like four or five times a year. I was supposed to be there twice already this year. And and if I didn't go that much, I, I wouldn't be living here because I, I like to say I go to New York to get fresh air. <laughs> wow. 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 I'm sorry. Heard that one yeah, damn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Damn. But you know, so so I've been thinking about this question a lot from lots of different perspectives, right? Like not the the what could we do proactively, but also what's coming out of this. And one of the things that I'm 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 noticing is that there are two two skill sets that are critical, right? Besides the connectivity, which is a huge issue. And by the way, there's other, you know, there's, we got to think about other solution, right? You got, you got, uh, you, you have the ability to have a personal hotspot on your phone. So why aren't we demanding that, that, that those that's free for, for parents so that they can turn those on for laptops and home like there and the, and the bandwidth issues and 5g are going to help with that. Right. So, so there's lots of little solutions that we can come up with, but this question around like the skills that students need for whatever the future looks like, uh, the the fact that we're not focusing on the critical ones, it comes out really clear through this epide- epidemic. Like, like for example, like one of the things that we often talk about is the critical skills that students need around problem solving, critical thinking, collaboration, the ability to learn and creativity, right? When I think, I got a five-year-old, when I think about my five-year-old, that's what I want her to learn, how to do those things, no matter what the subject is, no matter what the content is, I want her to do those things. But before this pandemic, those were all on the even playing field for me. But what's clearly come out of this is that the, uh, the ability to learn is absolutely essential. Like that's where we should start. We should be teaching students how to learn, right? And not, I don't mean how to outline a textbook or how to, you know, how to take a test. I'm talking about like building self-awareness and self-assessment, right? This idea that you don't know how to do something, where can you go learn how to do it, right? So it kind of changes the mindset, right? I hear from adults all the time. I'm not very creative or I'm not good with finance or I'm not good with math. And students say that too, right? I'm not good with math. And what I say to adults, I don't say this too much to students, but what I say to the adults is no, you've chosen not to be creative. You've chosen not to be good at math because the tools that you need are out there, right? And so you can take, you can start a two plus two on Khan Academy and start learning math from there. So this idea that, you know, the self-awareness, I don't know how to do something or I don't know something, where can I go learn how to do it and fill my head with that information so I can do something with it, right? So the ability to learn and then to be able to assess yourself, to be able to say, well, do I know it? Am I good at this? Have I mastered it? Like, Like that kind of conversation for me is important because in schools, what we've done is we kind of cover that when kids are in a physical space in a building, right? Because teachers can walk around and and give guidance and 
push people one way or make sure that they're doing their work or whatever those things are that our teachers do inside the physical space, those things aren't there anymore. So we, ha we have to be able to teach our kids how to learn because they're on their own for the most part, right? So that's one. And then the second thing that's tied to that and, we, and it's tied to the first question is they need digital skills, right? They need, let's say connectivity was across the board and it was even. Even if that was true, we still need to teach them digital skills. We still need to teach them how to use these tools, how to create, not just consume, how to take advantage of all the world's information that's out there, how to vet, how to search, right? Like, And there's studies that show us that doesn't, Kids don't know how to use these tools, right? There's a Stanford study from 2016 or 17, where 82% of elementary school kids can't tell you the difference between a sponsored website and a real news site. Or other studies that show you that 80% of high school kids can't pull out the fake story out of four or five stories that they, that they get shown. Like that, that's that's dangerous. We got to teach them these skills. Adults either. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm, I I gave up on adults, right? Like like this idea that we. we those are those are critical things. So so you talk about how could we prepare for this? If we focused on those two things earlier on, I think things would be much better. Who, who's and, the we? And you got a question. Oh, go, go, go ahead, Chris. I'll take Maya's question down and then we'll we'll get it to him afterwards. Ask your question, Chris. Well, just quickly, I was going to ask, what, who's the we? Like we, we got to I'm looking for what's the role with the people that have the technology, have right. the, the power, the right. infrastructure. What's their role? Right. In, in bridging the gap. So I, I think more about when I say we, I'm talking about educators. Right. So I started when I say we, I started a school in Phoenix called the Phoenix Coding Academy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this school is focused on computer science. So when I say we, I'm talking about the team there uh, as educators to focus on the critical skills that our kids need. And yeah, tech companies and all companies have a, have a role to play in all that. But at the end of the day, it's educators and the education policies that drive what we do in our schools. And, and so what we want to make sure we're focused on is what are the right skills. And, and, and right now, for the most part, we're saying, how do, how do our students do on this test? And, and maybe that's not the best, the best approach to this. Mm -hmm. We, we had a question um, from one of our guests and Jamie, this is to you. So I'm, we're going we're gonna to spotlight you. But what Maya asked is, how is Google leveraging this power lobbying or otherwise to push the conversation of connectivity for all in California and the nation? Not without appreciating the computers and connectivity you have provided in which I thank you for yeah, no, I, I think these are important questions and it's not just Google. It should be all the tech companies that are in California. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's like when you go to D.C. and you see and you see homeless people, you're like, that's insane that in the nation's capital, you see homeless people. Right. That's that shouldn't exist. And in California, everyone should have one gig of Wi-Fi space. Right. Like like right. that. That shouldn't be an issue. So I think all tech companies, all California based companies have to uh, have to look at this seriously. And and also it's it's what the, what do these companies want? They want users, uh, not users in the sense that I grew up with users, but, you know, they want customers. And the more people that are online, the more that they can buy things or subscribe to things or do things. And, and so it's in the, it's in their best interest to provide Internet access. Mm -hmm. 
That's what's tough. I mean, let's even like stay here though, right? Like, I mean, when we look at like y'all are powerful. And I think what Maya's question is getting to is that, you know, when Apple speaks, when Google speaks, uh, Microsoft is a few of y'all when they speak, people listen in a different type of way. Um, what does it look like for Google and Apple to just kind of, you know, push on the United States government or local governments or state municipalities or whatever to make this something that's actually available to people. Cause we know that it can be done. Like this isn't, this isn't like water, right? It doesn't just run out in the same way that water kind of does. And there's a part and there's a process there. Uh, we actually can create <laughs> more, you know, bandwidth for people. So what, how, you know, yeah. That I think that's part of what she's kind of asking. Yeah, no, how how do y'all make that push? Right. And and so the the, an, the the answer that and I like this answer is I don't know. And this is why I don't know. Because when I started Google, there were four thousand people. Now we're like a hundred thousand people. And when I started Google, there was like one lobbying guy in DC. You know, we forget that Google is a, a, a young company. They're still, you know, still growing. And so now there's a whole office of lobbyists and organizations that are focused on working not only at the federal level, but with states. So I know just from the experiences of being there that there are people at Google that are working with people in government at the state level at the federal level to push these ideas around how do we how do we provide broadband but my point was that it's not just our lobbyists it's got to be a, a, everybody's lobbyists right it's got to be a push through all this and and again it's one of those things where if you get four or five companies to go to the state legislature at any state and say hey we need broadband um, well, what if we don't do Broadway broadband? What's the consequence, right? Like mm -hmm. we always got to think about that. Like what is the, what consequence are the mm -hmm. people who make decisions facing? And if they're not facing consequences, why, why would they do it? Mm. And it's a good point for me to drop in right here. You know what I'm going to say about our leadership all the time. When it came down to like net neutrality as an issue, a lot of our civil rights groups were taking money from the big telecom companies to be on the wrong side of that issue. So the people that we would normally trust to have our best interest in mind and be fighting for us to have all the access that we need and not have any, you know, um, inequitable throttling of access to to internet um we're not even on our side then you know it's a money game it's a power game if we are not watching our leadership and demanding of them um to make the demands for us on our behalf then i think we're falling down on the job net neutrality for me was one of those issues where i got to see it firsthand you saw you know don't me beat a, a dead horse but 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 civil rights groups taking money from from big telecom mm -hmm. to be on the wrong side of the issue it was nuts Right. Well, yeah, we're also not talking about the rights. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, jump in, Ray. We're not going to do this with the civil rights groups, man. I don't want to get. <laughs> Ray don't like civil rights. Ray's a Republican. He don't like civil rights. Yeah, no, I, no, I love civil rights is fine. But I mean, like when has so when has uh, civil rights groups post the civil rights movement done what's in the best interest of black folks? But all right. I only mention it because what Jamie is saying is, is hitting me as these are demands that we would want our leadership making all the time on our behalf. This would be like one of the, in their portfolio of issues. We would want them pressing this. It can't just be one group of lobbyists. It, it has to be the people who claim to uh, to represent us. Right. But unfortunately, they're not always on the wrong, right side of defense on these things. A lot of times. I mean, we saw it with uh, the NAACP and charter schools. So, I mean, they've been, you know, we, we, you know, 
We can go a lot of different directions. But I want to move to the next question. And so this next question is a roundtable question, and uh, we'll kick it off with, uh, with, with Charles, the young buck. All right. Okay. So in your opinion, uh, <laughs> what's the most pressing issue in education for people of color and what's the fix? Oh, in education? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's do it. Uh, there's a bunch. I think the top one is uh, I think um, one that our leadership is failing us and has been failing us. But I think, two, we have there's been no consequence for them failing us over all this time. And we still are waiting for them to like. Mm-hmm get better. I don't know, like to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing historically that tells me that things will change. There's nothing historically, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's who can actually read, whether it's empty graduation diplomas, whether it's who actually gets in college and stays in college, right? Like there have always, we can always find black folks at the bottom of those things. And I think that we keep Sending our kids to these people with no consequence, no real threat of taking our kids away, uh, taking their ADA away. So I think the biggest issue is that we got to realize that we are more valuable than what we're actually valuing ourselves at. um, And things won't change until we actually change it and demand it. So, again, we talked about this and COVID kind of made it happen. But. And, you know, and, I, and Chris has brought this up in a bunch of different episodes. What does it look like if black people keep their kids home for a month? Like and now we know that, like, we actually can be at home for a month with our kids. So when things go back to normal, if if the trillion, how much did Dr. Watkins say when he was on our show? How much is the black community worth? It's like one point something trillion dollars. Like yeah. if mm-hmm. we kept our kids at home and they saw that ADA hit when there was no COVID relief that was coming to districts or to states or cities, um, I think people would start to listen a little bit differently. I think that, so for me, in my opinion, a pressing issue, and I I will put it as an experiment, when we come back, education does not have to go back and be the exact same post-COVID as it was pre. And I think that in this one, we need to be players at the table. And um, it's, it's funny because it's okay when unions and teachers say, well, we're going to strike and we're not going to come to school. Uh, but when I say the same thing about black families and, 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 and students, you know, it sounds different, right? It sounds a little ripe. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if I want to eat that grape, that, that grape a little soft. Uh, but until we flex our financial issue, because money is the name of the game at the end of the day, shit won't change. So the, the, the top pressing issue is that we undervalue ourselves and we keep selling ourselves at a discount. Mm. Yeah. Reef, what's up, bro? I mean, I think the most pressing issue is the same issue that's always existed uh, with our experience in America is the, the racism that fuels all the inequity and, and the the injustice. And I think the the parallel problem to that is we keep pretending that it doesn't exist. You know, we, we see this racism, we see what's happening to our children, we see the outcomes decade after decade after decade, yet we still believe that miraculously that people, that this isn't an institution. It is an institution, very similar to, you know, other institutions that were built on the manure of racism, <laughs> and it continues to sprout funky, stinky, filthy outcomes, you know, like that's that's what it is, but we keep pretending that it's, that is different because people work in a school and we have this, you know, uh, emotional attachment to school. We have this nostalgic relationship with schools and we have this uh, naive perspective to think that ah, it's just going to be different because it's a district or it's a school. It's not. 
It's not. Mm. And so I think those are the two parallel things. One, the racism that's always been there, but it's masked in different ways. And the other side is that we're still not taking the level of racism as seriously as we should. Mm. Stu. I mean, I'm going to make uh, notice that the last two of y'all uh, made references to crap. I'm just going to make notice of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably. Uh, Did I say probably, crap? I don't know if I said crap, but maybe you didn't I say did. crap. You, you said the actual word. You didn't say crap. You, oh, said, okay. the, you said the unchristian thing. Uh, um, <laughs> so um, so we're trying to pre- prepare our kids uh, for the future today by putting them in schools that were built for yesterday. Mm. Right. So. Schools lag behind society. They lag behind trends. They're like lagging. They're not forward thinking. They actually are backwards thinking. They, they think legacy and history and, and that's the way schools operate. That's nothing against them because like the law, they plod over time. They don't make radical shifts forward and jumps for, forward, but we need them to. And, and one of the things that I think uh, there's a certain set of truths that we just need to observe. One of them is that we're turning our kids over to people every day that don't know how to teach them. Right. We're turning them over to institutions that don't love them, don't understand them, uh, want to process them, sort them, um, put them in little places and shelves. Um, you can hardly find a state where black reading proficiency is above 30 percent. Right. Some places it's 11, 12, 15, 20 percent. With numbers like that. We shouldn't even have to have a show about education needing to change, needing to reform, do something different. But we do because the establishment is strong. The education establishment is a $700 billion industry with many bargaining units, many stakeholders and people who have a big investment in it staying exactly the way that it is right now. Knowing that and knowing how rigged it is, and Charles, you say this all the time, knowing that you're on your own, knowing that the system is rigged, you got to act as if you're on your own in it for real. Like you have to do something different for your own child because no one's coming right. for you. They're still poisoning your water, right? You turning over your kids to the same government that's poisoning your water that's beating your ass with their police, that's giving you long sentences, longer sentences than you're supposed to have in the courts, but somehow you think the schools are different? I, I mean, really? Like, like, like it, it, 400 years and this is the level of intellect that we've developed to, we still trust this damn thing with our kids? It doesn't make any sense to me. If we have a big problem, uh, it's the trust that we place in the system. Jamie, thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, those, these are some good. I'm, I was actually jotting on some notes. I, I think that the, the, the biggest issue for me is around equity, right? This idea that we still think about education from a fairness perspective, right? Like my kid goes to school versus my version of me from growing up and they were both in the classroom and they both have to take the same test and they both have to that one gets an A, the other one gets a C, and we're like, what's wrong with you, right? Like, like we need to really focus on equity and understand that some of our students need more resources. They need more support. They need more than what we're currently giving them, and that's the equity issue. And, and sometimes we confuse equity with equality and fairness, and that's not the same thing. It's a, We need a surge of support and services for, for a certain amount of our students, right? So it's not the same thing. So we have to focus on that. I The question of racism for me is one of those, I, I often talk about this, I often think about this, right? This idea that uh, 
what I always want to want to know what's racism and what's greed, right? Like, like what what's the like in the education system? You know, there is there are systems set up for people to fail in the business system. There are systems set up for people to fail. How much of this is about greed versus pure racism, right? Like the idea that I one of the silver linings of the election in 2016 is that we woke up to understand, you know, America woke up to understand that we have a racism issue, right? We, we kind of like forgot about that. Right? We, you know, if I, if in 2000, if in 2010, I said to my friends or I said to people, Hey, you know what? I think I was discriminated against at work. They'd be like, no, come on. Racism is done. Look, look, we got a black president. Look at the job. Look where you're working. Like, no, it's it's over. Now, when I say, hey, I think I was discriminated against at work. You're like, yep, probably. Right. Like, like, <laughs> like, like it's, it's out in the open now. Right. And now and now. So for me, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So what's the opportunity there? How do we how do we solve that problem now that it's out in the open? Because it was hard to solve when we pretended that it didn't exist. Mm. Yeah, that's a dope answer. Hey, Leah, I love that comment. I'm going to hit you up. We got to do a show on that. Um, so um, for me, this one. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's where I'm at right now. You know I'm a segregationist. All right, so two uh, <laughs> you a neo segregationist, uh, radical shifts. <laughs> two, uh, two radical shifts that we should automatically see uh, post COVID is uh, the elimination of snow days. That's one, right? And so if you have systems that have online access that are able to reach kids, we shouldn't be talking about closing schools for anything because you can have a school day in which you are enriching the minds of these students uh, via that kind of access. And then the second thing is uh, we talk about summer learning loss all the time in terms of uh, not being able to reach kids over the summer and meeting them where they are in the fall. Well, with uh, with this online learning, you can reach students over the summer. It's just about funding your school in the correct manner that puts kids' best interests first as opposed to putting adult best interests first. And so making a budget line to where, you know, your lowest 10 to 20% of kids that are going to need summer school, making sure that they have that access. Because I know a lot of a lot of schools don't really do summer school. They're like, hey, we'll get them in the fall. But actually putting that attention into our students that need it the most, I think that that's going to give us the most bang for our buck. And those two are going to give us the quickest fixes in terms of uh, what we need to do in education. Hmm. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, getting yeah, close to that final thought time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. oh, this time's going fast. Jamie, you He's like Pat Sajak. Listen, man, we <laughs> we have fun on here, man. Time flies. So, and Jamie, uh, most of these people have it's like one-on-one shows. You sh- so you should be doing your whole round robin on the one-on-one show. I mean, are y'all peeping out Jamie's setup though? Like, oh, we, like, are, we, we had a full, we did you say it already? Yeah, we I mean, had a damn. conversation about it, and yeah. I was actually gonna like have y'all connect because y'all got y'all you know y'all got a similar type of look, but we. We talked about the whole thing. Wow. Uh, 
See, hey, nice. Stuart, they didn't know my setup. Well, you know, I gave them the number to my setup. They they were they didn't know what it was. Sharif, I need you to not be at the bottom of the screen because when I try to even, I can't even go to a, a clear shot of you because everything blows your face out. You're only using the bottom of your screen. So there you go. Well, at least what we can see it because Ray looked like he's in the witness protection program. Let me just let you know this. This house I live in on Main Street is worth about four hundred and four. Brother, you don't need to do all that, brother. Don't don't. Wow. Don't, wow. don't, don't, don't let too much. Don't let him go. Don't let him go. He's coming. I'm gonna give him something to come for. <laughs> wow. mm. And um, you still can't afford lights. Hey, he's talking about brother. He talked about the lights in front of you, so the lights behind you don't flush out your face like you flushed out right I now. Have brother. a light in front of me on purpose so you can see this smiling face with this chain. Yeah, okay. and right. black as fuck. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where I'm at with. <laughs> Anyways, um, opportunity is key when we talk about equity and access. Jamie, you talked about this a little bit before. Um, just took my question away, bro. What are the best ways for people of color to obtain opportunities? You want me to start? Yes, sir. It's only for you, brother. Oh, okay. So, so <laughs> you know, I, I, I mentioned before that I, I started this YouTube channel with kind of like advice, like things that I observe in career, right? In my career, 25 years working at Google, working at, at Charles Schwab, working at Accenture, I work for Governor Cuomo and all the things that I learned, because I think it's important for us, those people of color, those, and not even people, people who grew up the way I grew up, people who have that experience, who can, who can not only give it back, not only be a mentor, but also leave the knowledge so that they can, they can figure it out. And, and one of the videos that I, I created that had resonated a lot with a lot of people, I, I haven't, I haven't heard from this many people in any of my, for any of my videos, except for the one around imposter syndrome, hmm. right? This idea that, and I laid it out there. I'm like, look, I, I deal with imposter syndrome now, right? Like you still deal with it, but people of color deal with it more because you don't get to see people who are like us. So, so this idea of opportunity for me starts with a self-awareness, like this idea that I belong here. I, I, I can be part of this to seek out people who are like me too. You know, one of the issues with imposter syndrome is that those of us growing up in communities like that, uh, it's it, to ask for help is weakness. And so we don't reach out to people when we need help. We don't, you know, people don't, I, I'm a public figure. I got my names out there. You can, anyone can reach me in like 10 different ways. And I created a couple of videos on how to network on LinkedIn because I don't hear from people. I don't hear from students of color. I don't hear from young professionals uh, who's, who, who could be like, hey, you know, how did you get to where you are? Or would you be a mentor? Or, or I have a question for you about this. And, and I don't hear from them. And, and part of that is this, that imposter syndrome where they don't feel like they're worthy of reaching out to someone like me, or they don't feel like that, that they can, or they're bothering me. And so for me, I, I'd love for us to work more in our communities around building that self-awareness around understanding that potential and that power because oftentimes we spend way too much time looking at test scores and saying you know that is your test score when i talk to students uh, especially students who are growing up like me i say to them this is what i wish somebody would have said to me when i'm when i was sitting where you're sitting i i say where you're from your experiences 
their competitive advantage. They're, they're the ones that are going to give you a different perspective, a different point of view, and that's your competitive advantage. So not just, not only hide, not only not hide from where you come from and, and, and where, you, where, where you were born and raised or your backgrounds or experiences, because it's, it's natural to do that, right? Because a, adults or people tend to equate uh, poverty with low ability, poverty with laziness, poverty with, um, you know, you're just, you're just bad at what you do. You're, you just right. failed. And so we hide that. And what I tell them is not own it, just own who you are and where you come from and use those experiences because you can potentially have a different point of view or a different perspective in whatever you do. And those are things that we can do without anybody giving us money. These are things, these are programs that, w- that we can do with in our communities right now. Mm, that's dope. Man, I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on the show. So as we roll into our final thoughts, we'll start with Reef in his uh, T-shirt that came He's been from- chewing on. Wherever it came from. He's been chewing on his T-shirt. Go ahead, Ray. We, we got to have a dress code policy. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. So, so that, it's that's, coming. Dis- that's discriminatory. I want to say that right now. <laughs> All right. That's right. That's right. There ain't no uh, cleaner bill in my, uh, you know, on my piece. But listen, um, first of all, thanks, Jamie, for, you know, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I think a couple of things. One. The innovation has to, you know, continue. There, there are schools that I, that I've spoken to who, even before this, didn't even have computer science. I'm talking about like high school. You know, um, some of them had word processing, like you know, typing instead of actual, you know, uh, jumping in with the technology and teaching kids, as you said, not just to be a consumer, but how do you create? Not just like, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up? But like, what questions are you going to, you know, answer? You know, what problems do you want to solve? And to do that, you know, technology is, you know, will lend itself to help students, uh, you know, do that. I think this whole idea of, you know, 12,000 students now, there's a petition that we've all been circulating around that, that who don't have access to internet, which means their school is essentially not only closed for them, uh, they are like pushed out, right? Like it's a different, you know, it's a different level of being pushed out. Like they are barred simply because they don't, uh, you know, they don't have access. And I, w- I would say, you know, Finally, like the biggest bargaining unit are our families. Our parents are the biggest bargaining unit. And the more we can, you know, uh, help them organize around these issues, make the demands uh, that that meet their aspirations for their kids and their communities, uh, the better. I think. And as we're going through the navigating this process, you know, we're you know, we both have you and I are both working with uh, Never Whispered Justice and Chad and really looking at what is professional development. You know, you talked about people having access, even adults having access to information, to knowledge, uh, that whole idea of cradle to the grave, even if you're in the home. Uh, you know, we'll love, you know, in your closing comments to talk about like what you're doing and, and what what are these episodes that you've been recording. And thanks again. Stu. So I'll just say for sure, my organization, Brightbeam, has a uh, national petition right now. We're petitioning the FCC. So I just would love everybody to go to brightbeamnetwork.org and look for that that petition because we're petitioning the FCC to make sure to ensure that uh, all families have access to Internet, regardless of, of their circumstances or whether they have passed due bills or whatever. 
Um, so that's, that's number one on, on my list is just to make sure that we have access. Second thing I'm, I've already said in this program already is leadership, making sure that we put our, anybody who wants to lead us in any capacity and has jurisdiction over us or our children should be on the hook for making sure that, uh, th- that kids have what they need, um, to be able to access a world fund of information, to be able to access, um, libraries and things that, that they can, uh, spark their curiosity with. And then the last thing I'll say is like creativity is the thing that I think wins the day on all of this because you know I I, I can remember being young and my dad telling me that the whole world was going to be computerized one day in the future but you were going to need to know math to be able to do it you're going to have to be able to do complex math to be able to do it to which I had no interest in like in the computer thing. Now, here we are all these years later, I got more computing power on my desktop right now than, you know, than, than uh, um, big companies had back then. And I'm able to do a lot of things with it. Our kids, if we were to stop just trying to push them into one thing, like learn how to do programming or learn how to do this or do that, just give them the tools, let them be creative. They all have something to teach us because they're brilliant. They'll find new ways to use the media, new ways to communicate through it. They do it all the time. They're brilliant. So what we really need is the access, the leadership and the infrastructure for them to just have the opportunity to be creative. Charles. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, great job hosting. Uh, Jamie, great guest. Uh, Sharif, thanks for getting that going. Um, just real quick, man. I think that, again, you know we're on our own. I think that we have lost the, oppor- the ability to dream. Like, school does not have to look the same way that it looked now. So think about in college. You go to a whole bunch of different colleges and schools when you're an undergrad, right? Like, we're at the time where the school across town can have this dope math program this school over here can have that and like technology can bring all that stuff together. I think as long as we're waiting for people to do better or do right or do the right thing, it's going to continue to suck for you because in that grand scheme, you don't matter. It, you just don't matter to other people. You're just not their priority. And once we can kind of understand that and move and act accordingly, I think we'll be better. And just finally, you know, the Patreon book club is covering education of blacks in the South. Uh, and I asked them if they'd actually read the book, um, you know, spook that sat by the door and none of them have. And I feel like that should be the next book, but I think everybody, listening everybody should, go should read. read their books. Everybody, be. whatever. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> first off, everybody probably won't go read it. Right. But we need to have people in every, like there needs to be the black people meeting or the poor people meeting as Chris likes to say, like you need an ally in the district. You need an ally in the union. You need an ally at the charter. You need an ally at Google. Like, like that we have people everywhere, right? Like come together, let's have this conversation in secret and then actually have a plan that makes us be better. And I can say it out in the open like this because it we've been saying it and shit ain't happened. So I think that that's what we need to start rethinking this thing because it don't have to look the same. At this point, it's my fault. At like in the beginning, it's your fault that you took advantage of me. But on the 80th time, in the 80th year with the same shit over and over and I'm slapping you in your face Mm -hmm. over and over and I'm keep coming. We are like 
people that are being abused and have Stockholm syndrome, man. Mm. We keep depending on these people and they don't give a fuck about you. Mm. COVID. You thought for two weeks that COVID didn't touch black people. And then we get disaggregated number and you dying the most, right? Like education. You hear all this shit about what's happening and what's good. We got kids that's graduating with 4.0s, doing the best they can and getting to college and they are remedial everything. Like... At this point, it's my fucking fault. That's my final thought. You said that, bro. You said all of it. I'm sorry, mama. I'm sorry. I know, with a potty mama. mouth as hell, but you said it. Mama, said don't listen still. to episode 60. <laughs> 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 Jamie, Jamie, close us out, sir. Damn, how am I going to follow that? All right, so a couple of things. Just curse more, Jamie. That's all. <laughs> that's how you follow that. I, I, think I, had a little, I had a little bit of substance in there. Damn. <laughs> hey, hey, look, I, my uh, five-year-old uh, about six months ago called me an asshole. So I try to stop <laughs> cursing. Uh, so so wow. I, so I want to close on, on this idea. I want to follow up on that. I want to follow that kind of idea that it's up to us. It's on us to do this. And and I think let's, let's use one example of that, right? This idea of we need to recruit and build more teachers of color to put in a school and that and back to the never whisper justice i talk about this in some of those in the videos that i built yesterday this idea that you know we do need more black and brown teachers and we need to create that process and do that but in the meantime or at the same time we can do some work like like there's no reason that that <laughs> black and latino professionals shouldn't be involved in their schools whether you whether you have kids there or not you can you could go volunteer you could go show up you could do you can teach a class you are an expert in something you can bring that into into your schools to show people what you can do right because at the end of the day it it what it's not just about getting an education and then getting a job. It's this realization that people like us have to be able to go back in school and say, look, this, is, this isn't over when you graduate. You're gonna have to learn your whole life. Somebody said this earlier, right? We think about education as a process. Education is something that happens to you, right? You are educated. You go through education. You, we even have checkpoints like, you know, graduation from high school and college. And the reality is that education is a mindset. This idea that we're constantly learning and constantly having to grow. So, you know, when I talk to students and back to what I talked about in one of the videos yesterday, this idea that we could be asking our students, not what job do you want or, you know, where do you want to be when you grow up? But what, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? And by the way, we people of color tend to think that when you hear what problem you want to solve, we have to go solve social problems. And yeah, we do. But we can also solve business problems. We can solve innovative problems. Right. If you watch Shark Tank, everybody who walks into that room is solving a problem. Right. There's lots of different problems that we can focus on. So what problem do you want to solve? And then the second question, and this comes to how do we take advantage of who we are? How do you want to solve that problem? How do you want to take your gifts, your talents, your passions and solve that problem? And then the third question, and this is where it all comes together for me, is what do you need to know to solve that problem? What are the knowledge, the skills and the abilities that you need to have? And if we just focus on that with our students, then they can start building those knowledge, skills and abilities to solve the problems that they're passionate about. And, and that's across the board. So for me, we have to think about education not as a thing or a process or, 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 or even a system, but think about education as a mindset and, and talk about it as a mindset. Mm. Awesome. So, all right. So, um, 
I was Switzerland tonight, so I'm gonna continue being Switzerland until we get into Patreon, and then I'm gonna get my shit off. Um, but thank you for listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast, Jamie. Thank you for coming on and blessing us with your thoughts. Um, you've been a scholar and a saint. Uh, you've been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. All right. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.